LinkedIn News. I've always been curious. Always looking for patterns in society. How people navigate and find their way. You always need some level of conflict to initiate that dialogue. It's never a straight line. I'm Tomer Cohen, Chief Product Officer of LinkedIn, and this is Building One. And I remember when I saw my kids on the screens, it was funny because every time I asked them, what are you doing? The answer was never, I'm playing games. The answer was always, I'm hanging out with my friends. That's Manuel Bronstein, CPO of Roblox, and he's sharing with me about the power of social gaming in the metaverse. We're going to get into that and so much more, so stay with us. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Growing up, I loved playing games just like everybody else, but I clearly remember how the experience changed throughout my childhood. I used to spend all my time after school playing outside with friends. But when I got my first IBM XTPC at home, that changed. I was spending a lot of my time indoors, just me and the computer. And while video games were fun, they clearly lacked a strong social connection. It wasn't the same. It was clear to me, and it was clear also for my parents. Fast forward till today, in addition to massive advancement in quality and graphics, the biggest gaming revolution has been social. And it feels like it's just the beginning. Today, we're gonna talk about building at Roblox. Roblox launched in 2006, eventually revolutionizing the gaming industry. Since then, it has become one of the most prominent user-generated platforms, capable of hosting almost completely virtual universes. It's redefining how we think about not just gaming, but creativity and online social interactions. And although many people think of Roblox as a platform for kids, the user base actually spans multiple generations. And in many ways, it's one of the closest things we have today to a metaverse. This is why I'm thrilled to have with us Manuel Bronstein, the Chief Product Officer of Roblox. Under Manuel's leadership, Roblox really pushed the boundaries of user-generated content, while also fostering a strong community of players. Manuel is a prominent consumer product builder, especially when it comes to building platforms. This includes prominent ones like Xbox and Zynga and YouTube. He has wonderful insights about what it takes to develop successful platforms. And as you'll hear in this episode, it requires a very different product philosophy. Manuel, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Tomer. Super excited to be here. Of course. I think we're going to learn a lot from you today. So I'm, I'm psyched for that. There's so many paths to product. And I'm curious about yourself because you have experience in engineering, in marketing, you're a brand manager, in business. What inspired you to pursue a career in product? What was your starting point? Tomer, it's never a straight line. And I think in my case, it was it was funny. I mean, as a kid, I always thought about products and how do you make something better? Like if I had a problem, my first intuition was thinking, what product will solve that problem? Uh, I ended up studying electrical engineering in Venezuela. And of course, with a desire to go build products. Venezuela, though, doesn't characterize itself as a place where a lot of engineering and new technology is built. 
So, so I did something probably unconventional and I went to Procter & Gamble to learn about business and marketing in the detergent space. So very far from electrical engineering and bits, I was basically commercializing packaged goods uh, to a wide uh, set of users. P&G is an amazing school for marketers, for business, understanding product value, product brand. But as a marketer, you get a product that someone else built and then your job is to try to sell it to a lot of people. And every time I got the product, I said like, here's the things that I want to do with this product that would be better. So it was in 2000 when I had the opportunity, you know, internet 1.0 was flourishing, maybe in 99, 98. And I had the opportunity to join a startup in New York, uh, doing online trading cards. It was super fun. And I jumped at it. And, you know, as any startup, there were like five, six people when I joined. The role of product manager was not defined. I mean, I went there to help them in everything I could help them, including help them build a product. But that's when I realized that there was a path and a discipline around building this product and consumer products that I really, really fell in love with. Uh, following that with business school and then went deep into product design, rapid prototyping, product building, how do you do user needs, needs finding, and all those things. And that started really steering me into this product career that I've been very fortunate to have had. You know, your story is another great example of the unique career path into product. You realized early in your career as a marketer that your passion was actually in building the experience. And for that point on, for you, it was about learning the craft by working at several great companies. And that's what I love about hearing people's journeys. The every path into product is quite unique. Yeah. So how did you get into Roblox? What was the story there for you? It's interesting, right? Uh, as I said, I, I grew up uh, playing a lot of video games, uh, but I never thought that I would have a career in games. Again, I was growing up in Venezuela. And at that time, you would think about you know, companies like Nintendo or Sony or companies that were far out from where I was. Uh, and today I don't consider myself a hardcore gamer. I, I consider myself a consumer products person and a platform person. I love, love, love building consumer products. And I love the approach of a platform could take when you're actually building consumer products. So it's funny, I, I have a joke that, you know, if you look at my past life, you look at uh, Xbox, you look at Zynga, you look at YouTube and, and even the Google Assistant, if you mash those all together and they had a baby, it kind of would look like Roblox, right? I mean, Xbox was a developer platform. At the time where I joined, I didn't join a game studio. I joined the platform and I was super excited about this idea that, by the way, go back to 2003, 2005, there was a piece of hardware with a hard drive, with an Ethernet port, uh, Wi-Fi connectivity that was connected to your TV. And this is a time when there was no video streaming, there was no music streaming. You could think about all the possibilities that that piece of hardware connected to the internet with a hard drive connected to the TV, all the scenarios, all the ideas were flowing. So that's what got me excited. Uh, the gaming part was fun, but, but, but really was the platform. Then you fast forward to Zynga, and Zynga was a lot about connecting people and having them game together. It was like the social gaming nature of... of Playing alone is not as fun as playing with other people. Like it was a universal truth. And then fast forward, went to YouTube and YouTube actually taught me the notion of user-generated content, two-sided or three-sided marketplaces where you're building a platform for creators, for users, potentially for advertisers. And you need to balance all these things to deliver a product. Uh, Rolex was very unique. 
years ago, I met the Roblox CEO. And because of the commonalities between the things that he was trying to build and things that I had done in my life, we always had something good to talk about. Uh, so for seven years, every once or twice in a year, we got together and we just chatted about the business. And, you know, every now and then there was probably hints of, hey, would you want to join? I think I wasn't ready. I think the company was at a different stage. But fast forward to 2020 and those two conversations a year turn into like 20 conversations in the year. Half of the time we talk about the strategy, the business, how big this thing could be. The other half of the time we talk about product. And when we started talking about product and talking about the vision and we started mind melding, it was clear to me that I needed to join this place. And it was not about the gaming. It was when I saw my first concert on the platform, when I went and saw the Little Nas X concert on the platform and I saw people jumping and dancing and a performance happening in front of me, I said, oh my God, this is happening. And then it was a no-brainer for me to jump and, and do it. That was a very special milestone. I don't think we talk a lot about platform product persons, but the criticality of that ability to think in systems, to think in almost like setting the foundations for others to build applications on top of is not usually being discussed. And in my opinion, it's one of the most forward-looking product thinking that you can have because you're really building for others and you're building pieces of the puzzle, allowing them to build their application. So I really like that emphasis you're putting there. I do think that there's an element of thinking systems that is so hard, so, so hard and not that natural, right? You need to think about inputs. You need to think about outputs. You need to think about not the first derivative, but you need to think about the second or third derivative of the decisions that you're making. And if you're designing things like a system, everything is interconnected. So that decision that you're making, right? If you're trying to optimize for one single metric, which I tend to advise, uh, it's hard, right? Because there's really ramifications to the ecosystem, to the users of every decision you make. So I think that being able to step back distill hard, complex problems, simplify them, right? Distill complexity, look at the desired outcomes, don't accept compromises, and then think about the system end-to-end is something that I think has helped me. I'm still developing it, but it really characterizes the work on a platform, as you call it out, versus the work on on a product. One last thing that I would say uh, that it's super interesting and it's very strong at Roblox, our company really prides itself for innovation. And, and, and I know that we're in the Valley, everybody will talk about innovation, but how do you develop a culture of innovation and how do you reinforce innovation? I think it starts with having a point of view and having intuition and being willing to make bets based on your point of view or intuition. Because exactly what you're saying, Tomer, we're making decisions that are gonna have an impact maybe one, two, three years out you make the decision, what does the community do with it? And then how that manifests into a product that gets to the user. Those things take time. You need to have a point of view of where the world is going. You need to have a point of view of where your platform is going and then go for it. I'm so glad you brought up intuition as a topic. It's very nuanced and it's a critical skill as a product builder. And it's not always easy to explain intuition in retrospect, but I know that for me, it's not magic. I know it's a result of pattern matching, either by me going deep on users' needs and developing empathy for what they are going through, or by going deep into the data. And ideally, I do both. And that's how I usually advise people to develop their own intuition. 
Manuel, back to your own intuition. What do you think will change in the Roblox universe in the next five to 10 years? And on the flip side, what do you think will not change? Yeah, I'll start with the things that I don't think will change that make our vision and our mission long-standing. Look, our, our vision is to reimagine re the way people or we all come together. And I think that a truth in our world, uh, hopefully forever, is that we enjoy hanging out, spending time with people that we care about. It could be friends, it could be family, it could be stranger that shares a common interest. That's part of life. Actually, there's even uh, writings around longevity that talk about having a social activity is actually good for you. So I think that this notion that people will want to do and spend time together, it's not going to change. And hopefully it doesn't change. And our platform is built to amplify that, right? And you're not separating online from offline. For you, it's the same. No, no. And not only that, I'm going so far to say we're not thinking here about how do we replace the real world. We're thinking here about how do you augment the real world by allowing me to do things that maybe I wouldn't be able to do in the real world. So, so I'll give you an example, right? I mean, the concert is a great example. Imagine you live in a very, very small town and your favorite artist never tours your city, flying to another place to see them or watch them is super expensive. But if you can do it online in a 3D immersive environment, surrounded with people and friends, it's not a replacement, but it's a really good proxy, right? Uh, the pandemic was a sad and a good example in many ways because for multiple reasons, people could not be together, right? But there was a great proxy to being together, which is being together online. And I remember when I saw my kids on the screens and I was a little bit concerned about how much time they were spending in front of a TV or in front of a computer or in front of a gaming console, it was funny because every time I asked them, what are you doing? The answer was never, I'm playing games. The answer was always, I'm hanging out with my friends. Super interesting. So, so to me, this nature of hanging out together is not going to change. And I think that we're building to amplify it. Things that are evolving that are super, super cool for us to think about is how easy it becomes to create. Uh, you know, if you think about it, creating a 3D immersive environment is not trivial, right? You need to know how to code. You need to know how to create 3D art. You need to know how to animate. But if creation becomes easier, if an artist can kind of code, if a coder can actually create art, if someone that doesn't know how to create art or code can create a 3D immersive experience, you're now opening the floodgates for anybody to become a creator. That's super, super, super powerful, right? It powers a, a very interesting model and economy. I, I think the other thing that is super interesting is if we are gonna co-experience and share the same space online, how do you make that natural? How do you make that something that me and my dad, who's in his 80s, can naturally do, right? Tapping the screen to watch a video, it's very easy. Navigating in a 3D immersive environment is not that trivial, right? If we want to have a billion people or more connected in our platform, we're going to have to navigate that and making sure that being in a 3D immersive environment becomes seamless. And by the way, I, I want to clarify something. When I say 3D immersive, I'm not thinking about VR or goggles. I'm thinking just about a space that actually has the 3D dimension. So you can go front, back, up, down, left, right. And because it's a space, you can share that space with other people. So now imagine it fast forward. 
today people talk about Roblox as gaming. I, I mentioned the example of concerts, but you could apply every single category that you can think about online to how would you rethink that category if you think about a 3D immersive space and you think about a shared experience. Yeah. I'll, I'll use one example, shopping, right? You can scroll through your feed of your favorite shopping app alone and start picking products, or you can share a space with me where we go to the store together. I'm seeing the things that you're looking at. We're having a conversation about the product that you're gonna buy. If you, it's cloth, you can try it on. I can give you my opinion. And then, you know, it becomes kind of like a more social and hopefully a better experience. So I think that every single industry, every single category that we do online today could have a model in a 3D immersive shared space. Basically, what you were saying is you were sharing principles for how you think about uh, building the product. And I'm, I'm a big believer in stating your principles outright. You know, not those abstract principles that nobody can act on, but things that actually have teeth. So, for example, when you're saying we're not here to re replace the offline world, that's really important. We're here to augment it. So really giving you experiences beyond that. And I think that actually sets the product direction in a very specific way. The idea that creation, uh, which is really hard today, will become easier and even more richer and visceral over time is something you want to lend yourself into and start bringing this in. Um, the idea that like there's things you can actually do together in a unique experience, so it really becomes more of a user-generated platform. And the game is not really a game. It's really a social interaction at this point that you bring people into it. We are going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about why building a platform is different than building any other product. I've been already surprised by experiences that go above and beyond what I would have thought someone would build on a platform. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. All right, we're back. I'm speaking with Manuel Bronstein, Chief Product Officer at Roblox. As a platform, Roblox has so many areas to invest in. So I wonder, how do you decide what to invest next? Because ultimately, you can think of the metaverse as endless. We can talk about sports events and concerts and music shows and fashion shows and school experiences. We can go on and on and on. Is it really about building the Lego blocks for others to come and create? Because I would assume that as a platform, you still need to be opinionated. You, you hit on a few things. The beauty of being a platform is that if you think about the building blocks, and, and we have more than 12 million developers building on Roblox, right? The community will surprise and delight us. So I could predict a lot of the things that are going to happen, but I've been already surprised by experiences that go above and beyond what I would have thought someone would build on the platform. And the, Like what's an example there, Manuel? So the scripting language that people use to learn to code on Roblox is called Lua. Someone build an experience that is teaching you to code in a 3D immersive environment. Uh, there have been shopping experiences. The NFL built a store where you could go and buy the helmet or the shirt for your teams. Uh, when we release Spatial Boys on a platform, someone built an experience that was an open mic. Someone built an experience that was 
hey, let me use my voice to control my avatar. And we didn't think that these were the things that were going to happen immediately. So you start being very surprised. You could be intentional about a few things, right? There are categories, like if I ever want communication to happen on the platform, I need to think about voice communication. I need to think about spatial voice. So you'd have to be intentional. But the cool thing is that we think about it as much as possible in a horizontal way. This feels like an important distinction when it comes to building a platform. It's not about building the killer application, but what about developing those killer building blocks for a broad user base? I, I mean, if you go back to a, a, a platform like YouTube, I can learn to play music, I could watch a physics video, I can watch comedy, I could watch video games. You build a platform that allow the entire world to create everything, and then people will self-select. I mean, you, when, you know that in products you say, hey, if you try to build a product for everybody, you build for no one? That's not true for platforms. You always need to have a focus to start. But the beauty of a platform is that if you build it right, if, if I ever want to have a billion users and you ask me, who's your target audience? I said, well, if it's a billion people, I need to be thinking about almost everybody in the world, right? Uh, I need to think about younger people. I need to think about older people, female, male, people who care about games. I need to think about people who care about something else. So rather than going vertical by vertical, you start thinking really horizontally and say, okay, how do I empower the creation of all the things that could happen in this space? I really think people can benefit a lot from thinking more in platforms. Again, depending on the product, it might not be resonating with people who are building a very specific niche use case, but really you are building the metaverse. However you want to like define that, that's virtual universe for people to actually come in and engage with. I wanted to ask you, and something that actually comes up a lot in product discussions, which is the idea of opening up the platform versus being totally created. And as an example at LinkedIn, we've taken a pretty unique approach when it comes to social platforms. So we're not open for everything, but it's professional. There's a community guideline for how you conduct yourself on LinkedIn. It's really about the ultimate workplace. It's awesome. It's fantastic, but it's still a workplace environment. And then there's also the open it up. People can just do whatever they want. How, how are you guys thinking about it? We are very much in the very, very open it up camp. But we do have some community guidelines, right? I mean, if you read our mission statement, we talk about connecting a billion people on our platform with civility and optimism. I mean, adding the phrases civility and optimism to a mission statement, it's very intentional, right? Roblox was created as a platform that started with kids, right? More than 55% of our users are 13 plus, and the fastest growing demographic is 17 to 24. So we are aging up. But the platform started with a core demographic, probably in the 9 to 12 range. That forced us to be very deliberate and have a DNA of safety, civility, and optimism in everything we do. We make decisions that are safety, civility, optimism first versus growth versus revenue optimization. And we really, really take that very seriously. So that's the balance that we need to strike. And then we layer on top of that this notion of the real world where we need to acknowledge that, for example, spilling out profanity may be not okay in some environments, but it may be okay in some environments. Respecting the community is allowing me to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a friend and being able to talk to them however I speak and not be censored, but be very careful about when I'm having a town hall and I'm addressing a hundred people in the way they speak and the things that I can incite there. So it's a very, very nuanced and balancing act we're going to work towards that. And we have a very great example, which is the real world. 
who you are with, how old you are, where you are, should guide what's probably more acceptable than not, right? So rather than saying, hey, you cannot do these things on Roblox, is maybe you cannot do these things if you're nine years old and you're in a public setting and so forth and so forth. And when we think about those things, again, this is where we use the real world. If I'm in a kid's park with a bunch of kids around me, my behavior as an adult is expected to be in some way. But even if I'm in that park, I go to a corner and I'm speaking just with a friend one-on-one, I could say things that maybe I wouldn't say publicly in that room. How do you model that? How do you actually create that? That's the beauty of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, this resonates a lot. I want to get a little more tactical into your day-to-day. What are some processes you've held on to and has you scaled in your career? The things that you basically do on a regular basis with your team or with your company that you think are pretty unique that people can actually learn from? Yeah, you know, looking back, there's a little bit of recency bias on my latest roles, but I think that one of the most important things that you can do when you're leading an organization, when you're leading a team, has to do with the culture, has to do with how we do things, and have to do with making sure that we're all aligned around the vision. And what that means, though, is that every time you have an interaction with people, whether it's a one-on-one, whether it's an all-hands, whether it's a product review, you're channeling and behaving in a way that reflects the values of the company, the culture of the company, and the vision of the product that you want to do. I know it sounds high level, but the reality is that the biggest job for me is to help people get into alignment, go in the right direction, be decisive and get them to clarity when the clarity is missing, and be very consistent. I mean, that's something that's a trait that I think a lot about. Whether you're doing a product review, whether you're doing a one-on-one meeting, if you're consistent, people will learn how you think. And actually being very predictable in business for your teams is actually a good thing. It means that you're not sending them in random different directions. They know exactly where you're heading. Of course, you have to listen, you have to empathize, you have to take cues from other people because they can actually teach you new things. But when I think about the rituals, there are a lot of interesting things that we do at Roblox, right? We have our product reviews. Uh, We have quarterly reviews where we go team by team in the company and we hear about what they're doing every quarter. I have an opportunity to see a full horizontal view of what everybody in the company is working on. All of this allows us to continue to reinforce what's the vision, where are we going, are we aligned, and here's the culture of how we do things. And Roblox is super unique in that regard. The consistency point is really special. Any example of like where you saw lack of consistency recently? You're like, hey guys, let's bring it back to how we work and how we do things. Yeah, I'll give you a very interesting example of of, of our culture. We're a platform. So our approach to go to market means that when we release something, we want to give equal, democratic, fair access to all of our community, uh, to whatever feature, whatever product we're releasing. Oftentimes, you and I are in the tech industry, you realize that when you're trying to release something, there's, oh, there's an alpha period, there may be a beta period, there may be a time where you handpick some people to use the feature, they try it out, they give you feedback, and then you release it. We don't accept that as a release at Roblox. So we tell the people, hey, if you need to scale progressively, design the constraints that still make the choice open to anybody to participate, you just need to comply with these certain constraints, and then you can participate. 
versus, hey, I'm going to make a call and I'm going to select 100 developers. And time and again, people coming from different companies, when they are trying to go to market, every now and then I listen, okay, we're going to start with an alpha, then we're going to do a beta, and we stop them right on the tracks. And we say, hey, come back with a plan that is open to everybody. I understand that you need to set some constraints, set the constraints, but it needs to be open to everybody. And, and that's something that we've been reiterating now. And, and hopefully by the end of this year, I won't hear anybody again coming back with a, a hand-picked beta plan. <laughs> it sounds like in many ways, you don't mind them starting with a subset, but they have to show you how they're going to open it up for everybody. Is that correct? More or less. It's more that the criteria for that subset to participate needs to be open to everybody. So for example, when we did Spatial Voice, of course, we wanted to have safety on the platform. We wanted to make sure that it scales well. Rather than saying, hey, we're going to let in 10,000 people to participate, what we said is, hey, we're going to release it, but we're going to require ID verification. ID verification is a high toll order of friction that you're adding a feature, like ID, like real ID verification. You need to be 13 plus and ID verified. So the point there was in any growth mindset company, you would have said, you're nuts. You're capping the adoption of your feature to people who are ID verified. But as I said, rather than having to do a 10,000 person test market, people were opting in. And those people that then ID verified could access the feature, but of course, not everybody did it. So we had our constrained market by design. That's an approach in which we're doing these things. Manuel, thank you so much for sharing not just your journey with us, but also the principles you've developed building so many successful platforms over the years. We had some great takeaways today. First, we talked about how the approach to building platforms is inherently different. And it might be best to put on your architect hat first and start with the vision and the plan, considering both the current needs of your users as well as future expansion. Second, building platforms pushes your system thinking. You go beyond thinking about the first derivatives all the way to second and downstream implications. Lastly, the concept of Roblox as an open platform goes beyond how they build. It also talks about how they take things to market. Every feature on Roblox is designed to be available to all users from day one. If you want to hear more, tune in next week for some fun rapid-fire questions I did with Manuel. Imagine if there was something that you wore that would measure every decision that you make in your day and tell you how it impacts your longevity. Building One is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our host is Tomer Cohen, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. This episode was produced by Lolia Briggs and Max Miller. It's engineered and mixed by Asaf Gadron. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. And Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. Thanks to Alicia Mann and Jenna Kaplan. If you know a product leader we could all learn from, send us a line at pitch at LinkedIn.com. Tune in next week for our rapid fire bonus round with Manuel. We'll be back in two weeks with a new interview with Mattel SVP and head of design for dolls, Kim Colmoni. 